Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Jonathan. Hi, I'm Jonathan Hess, a compulsive overeater. And I'm grateful to be here tonight, and happy birthday to uh, two ladies. Thank you for your example. And um, thanks to the gentleman who helped out with the OA birthday party. That was quite an event last week, and I really enjoyed that cabaret. I had thought going to the OA birthday party the last four years. My OA sponsor uh, tried to get me to go many different ways, and... Uh, I just, you know, I've come from a lot of AA conventions and things like that, and I hadn't been to too many conventions lately. I didn't want to go. And they tried to hook me into one commitment, and that fell through for whatever reason. And then they needed me to help them with something else, and uh, it, it was great. I mean, I re- I'm saying, God, what did I fight this thing for? It was so wonderful. And that cabaret was, was incredible. So, anyway, I'm grateful to be here. I want to thank uh, 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 Martha for asking me and your secretary, uh, Michelle. Um, it's an honor and privilege to uh, share with you and uh, uh, and to be asked back again. It's a big honor and privilege. You know, there's a saying in the program that, that if, speaking of meetings, it's a win-win thing. If they don't like you, they don't ask you back, so you don't have to come back. And if they do, it's always nice to be asked back. So it's, 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 it's very true. Um, I guess I'll just try to go through this rather quickly um, uh, so I can get into some recovery. But... Uh, I, my, my, I'm born. I'm all Californian, and uh, my uh, my mother uh, was uh, married with my dad for about eight years before she, they finally had to open her fallopian tubes, and she got pregnant, and that and that was me. And uh, and then about a year later, my brother was born, and uh, she had a nervous breakdown uh, shortly after that uh, from her mother probably dying when she was 11 years old, and uh, difficulty with her the way she was brought up, and. Uh, and her sister became a hardcore, very solid woman with ulcers and very decisive. And my mother uh, became a, what, what appeared to be a very weak woman. She was Elizabeth Taylor Gorgeous. And uh, and because of my association with, with her in that way, uh, I, the way I grew up with women is I thought that they were, uh, you know, if they were uh, pretty, it meant that they were stupid. Because I, I, I interpreted that lack of... Uh, ability to put things together in her head and all the emotional problems she was having as a lack of intelligence. And um, so, and and uh, she was always very nice with my uh, dad and all, who was 10 years older than her. And, and I equated that uh, with women, meaning that if you're really nice, I meant you're weak. And so I grew up with this very warped image of women. And, uh, and there was a lot of other prejudice in the house. My father was from the South, so I grew up with that. And... Uh, and, and my father worked very hard, and my, and my mother did the best she could. I know today my mother and father did the best they could, and I, and I love them very much. They've been long past. But um, uh, I, I was a very wild and crazy kid. Both my brothers and, and I were all screwed up. One's into some kind of pay-type religion. I won't mention the name because I want to sound like I'm judging other religions. Um, and, uh, and, and another brother of mine, uh, you know, we're all Jewish, and, and he went back to orthodoxy, but he just like... Just kind of nuts, and you know, and has all those problems. He's, he and and both my brothers are. are I mean, one brother went to like uh, you know MIT and Cornell. He has PhD in physics. Another brother is like a genius in tax accounting, and you know, I'm an accountant myself. But um, 
so you know, my dad graduated high school and he was uh, and skipped three grades. And so there, you know, my mom was a school teacher. So it was not like a lack of intelligence in the family. But, uh, you know, I grew up in public schools and I was like all D's and F's in the first and second grade, always getting into trouble. And stealing came naturally to me. I stole from my mother all the time. And, and uh, if anybody ever suspected, I could always say, well, it was her mental sickness. That's what she thought. And I would blame that. And I, and I blamed a lot of things on that. Uh, on her illness and uh, and all of my problems I had in my life I blamed on her because I you know and, and it was interesting that this morning's topic in OEM I was at was blame and uh, and last night I was at the San Fernando Valley uh, one of the marathon meetings was uh, a uh, conference out there uh, topic was we're not saints and I was kind of putting those two together in my mind and I blamed everybody and everything and um so I, you know, with stealing, of course, you know, I was I was not a big time thief like my uh, AA sponsor was robbing banks and things. But I, if it wasn't nailed down, I would steal it, you know. And 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 I stole all the time. My parents used to frisk me, you know, and I would hide the money in my underwear and then go to the. Uh, the hobby shops. I remember this kid uh, saw me doing that one time, and he started to blackmail me. He threatened he was going to tell my parents and all that. And, and uh, you know, there was a time when he used to put a knife to my throat and threaten that he, that he would kill me. And, you know, when you're nine, ten years old, and somebody does that, you pretty much believe it. And uh, and, I, and, I, and I grew up. It, I grew up really screwed up in a lot of ways, and we grew up in nice neighborhoods. I mean, and my dad moved about every three or four years. When you know, he played the commodities and uh, very intelligent and. Uh, and very compulsive in gambling, and, and and I didn't see that, and I didn't like to even talk about that until years later in the program, uh, long after I got sober. Um, but uh, I got into, I was always in a lot of fights and a lot of trouble, and in third grade I tried to straighten out my act a little bit, and uh, and. Uh, you know, I, I always trying to impress people. I remember I used to kill bees with my bare hand on the cement. You know, if you slam your hand on them real fast. I remember I was trying to impress this girl one time doing that, and I hit the bee in the in the uh, in the uh, grass, and then start to sting the hell out of me. I'm jumping up and down, screaming, and she's laughing, and you know, nothing worse than being laughed at. I'll tell you. But um, so I, I just grew up kind of wild and crazy and, and of course lying goes along without stealing I, you know it was necessary I could tell you two and two is five and you know make you believe it you know and uh, and uh, that is not exactly a, a, a recipe for success if you want to be honest it's a recipe for short term success maybe but long term no and um so I, I always had trouble in school. My 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 brother was a year younger than me. He was always doing really well, and uh, I had a lot of fights and a lot of trouble, and 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 I got into the alcohol and drugs. But I was probably I was probably compulsively overeating from five years old on. You know, I mean, I, I remember when I got abstinent, and I'm abstinent about four years and two months and uh, 18 days now. Uh, but who's counting? But, but uh, I remember talking to my uh, one of my. Uh, Guy I knew in, in OA, he was sober and absent in like 20 years. And I was talking about how it's, it's harder it seems to be to, to do the food thing than the sobriety thing. And he said, well, how long were you drinking usually? I said, well, from around age uh, 9 to around 18, 19 almost. And it's like 10 years, right? And he said, yeah. I said, yeah. And he said, well, how long were you overeating? I said, well, and at this time it was like 50, 56 I said, well, about 50, 51 years. And he said, yeah, it's going to take a little longer to get over that upset. <laughs> so, and he was right. And, um, but, uh, you know, I always went to the food. I was always a compulsive reader. I always, I can remember 
my my grandpa Jack, because my father worked a lot of hours, and my mom, she did the best she could, but my grandpa Jack, who was on to my BS a lot, and he would call me on my stuff, and he could see right through me, hands down. And so, but he, he took the time to care about me, and, 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 uh, and he used to take me out. He took me to circuses, and he would take me out to dinner a lot, and he was a very jovial guy, and, uh, and, and, I, and I, you know, I used to hate him on one hand, and I loved him on the other. He used to give me these big sloppy wet kisses all over my face, and I'd say, well, Grandpa, don't give me his wet kisses. And he said, let it soak in. You know, he had this, <laughs> he had, he had this, he had this raspy voice because, uh, you know, he had cancer at one time in his throat. They removed all his vocal cords. He had a raspy voice. But he lived to like he was 80, 85 with diabetes and everything. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, my life could have been good. You, it should have been great, but I was always in trouble. And, try, and I could never relate with people. I was always trying to impress people. And, and I got into, like, you know, uh, the uh, the violence thing. Not not that I was a really bad dude from, you know, East L.A. or anything like that, but, but I was always in trouble like that. I was known as the ki- kid with the ice pick. I'd go on some of these kids' lawns and seven, eight, nine, ten years old, throwing this ice pick up in the air with, with the kids there. and Just, just crazy. Just crazy. And um, uh, I remember I eventually I kind of had a nervous breakdown and copped out about the stealing, and, and then my parents... Got involved and, they, and and with the principal and they caught the guy and, and that was that. But I, I I was stealing for many years, many years in this sobriety, um, and uh, I got into the you know I'm Jewish and so you know they drink Manischewitz wine and uh, at Passover and things like that and uh, I got into drinking at nine years old and I drank a quarter three quarters of that bottle of wine and uh, and I would if alcohol was around I did that and if drugs if you were doing drugs I did that and uh, and there was always food I mean you know pizza and all that stuff I was always binging on that stuff when we were drinking and throwing it up and uh, that never stopped me from drinking or using and it didn't stop me from overeating and uh, you know there's not enough food you know if, if, if the pizza was the size of all these people here there's not enough pizza you know for, for me to fill that hole that I had um, and I would try to Desperately to fill that hole, the fear that was going on with my parents and all their problems, and and uh, you know fear of women. You know, I had like three years of, of fairly hardcore child molestation because my parents were leaving me with the babysitters, and you know, and I was very confused when I when I got sober because uh, I thought I was gay because of all that child molestation, and I got into some of that stuff as far as that sexual activity. It was, it was and, and with a friend of mine, and uh, and I didn't know what to make of myself, and and, and thank God that that. His mother had caught us and got got me out of that. But when I came to, got finally got sober, I didn't know, you know, if I was gay or not. And I'm not knocking gay people, and there's a big difference between being gay and being a child molester. But I had all that stuff in my head, and uh, you know, and I, you know, I'd even talked about it in therapy. I went to group therapy at, you know, when I was on probation because I got arrested for possession of marijuana. I, I, I didn't talk about it there, but I was also on in group therapy with um, my school, and this wonderful black guy. Um, uh, uh, named Caldwell Williams. He's probably long gone now. He was my counselor, and he tried to help me a lot. And uh, and I tried getting into karate to help get out of that fear, and I was going crazy nonstop on that for seven days a week. And, uh, I mean, now I probably couldn't fight my way out of a paper bag, but, uh, you know, back then I was doing okay. And uh, and I tried to go to that therapy and reading books to stop drinking and 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 because and, and, I could see there was a problem with the alcohol and drugs. The food I never saw a problem with. Um, I just, you know, when I wanted to eat, I just ate all the time. And, uh, and my weight would go up and down, but I never got to be hundreds of pounds overweight because I was physically active a lot. And, uh, but I was never really dieting. I tried to restrict and cut back a little bit, but, um, I never, uh, never really was successful in that. And, uh, 
by the time I, uh, between, say, 15 and 16 and a half, I got into alcohol and drugs very heavy. And uh, grades started going down, lost all my friends. And from 16 and a half to, like, 19, I tried various ways to stay sober to get off the alcohol and drugs. And I always went back to it. And, uh, and I, and I, you know, I wasn't doing it seven days a week, but a lot. Smoking grass, I was doing that a lot. Drinking, you know, three or four times a week sometimes. And, uh, and getting drunk most of the time and, and laying in my vomit or urine. It just didn't matter. And, uh, and I got into hallucinogenic drugs and all that stuff. And, um, you know, I would try to stay sober on and off. And, and I finally, uh, a friend of mine I used to drink with was coming to uh, AA and... Uh, his name is Bob S. I don't, I don't know if he's sober anymore. I haven't seen him in 20, 25 years. And he was pretty much a pure alcoholic. He pretty much only drank alcohol. And, uh, and not like me, because I did like everything. I was a garbage can. And uh, he brought me to my first AA meeting, which was the Santa Monica Way of Life meeting at Meets at, uh, in Santa Monica. And, uh, and I didn't think I was alcoholic, but I identified with, with the main speaker, a guy who's still sober today named Marvar. And... Uh, and I heard about this thing called OA. And so I started going, and I didn't think I was alcoholic, but I thought, well, I'm an overeater. I maybe I should check that out. And I started going to these meetings at Olympic and Crescent Heights and all that stuff. So this is like, what, like 42 years ago. Um, and uh, I really, uh, I, you know, I got a sponsor, but you guys were speaking Chinese to me. You, I couldn't understand anything you were saying to me at all. It's just none of it made sense. And I was in and out of OA insanely. And you got to realize, coming off all the alcohol and drugs and being on PCP and all that stuff, I mean, I was just a total space cadet. I dropped out of, I dropped out of uh, college in my second semester. I lost every friend. I had my best drinking and drug-using buddy who used to cough up blood drinking. Even he didn't want to be with me anymore. But, and I'd say, well, I'd say, well, Rob, why don't you want to be with me? He said, because you can read, you're saying you can read people's minds. I said, well, I can, I can read their minds. And uh, I just, just total space case. So I hallucinating a lot. I used to feel these ants crawling on me for the first three months of sobriety. And, um, you know, I just, uh, just a total space cadet. But, um, you know, I was in and out of A for the first four months, uh, and, and I started to, to, to stay sober finally. And, uh, and, uh, and AA was good. And, and, and my first AA sponsor got me going back to work and eventually got me to move out of my parents' house after a year. And uh, I got fired from jobs left and right. And, uh, and I had no idea how to function, really. But my first AA sponsor was hardcore. And as I often say to many people in AA meetings, that uh, I, wouldn't have, I would not tell someone to do what I did. But, you know, he, he would make me go to my job after, after my Friday night men's stag. I'd have to go to work on graveyard at Jack in a Box for buck sixty-five an hour. And he'd make me go to the yard with no sleep. And I said, Tom, i got to have some sleep. He says, you don't need it. You'll get it later. And, uh, and, so I'd, and then he said I couldn't take a nap before the Saturday meeting because he knew I'd oversleep and be late. And then he said parties back then. They still had the parties. But then they, back then they read like 15 cards and for each party. And, so, and then we'd go out to dig dinner and coffee afterwards. So it'd be like 44, 45 hours without sleep. And but fortunately, I got fired from my job after about six weeks. Oh, well, oh, I'm sorry. I quit like two seconds before they were going to fire me. And I got a job with a, uh, another guy in, in AA, and uh, he fired me after three days. But it was a tough job. I had to hose the cars down and turn on the engines and <laughs> sweep the floors. It was pretty high tech. So anyway, so after about five years of in writing two major fourth and fifth steps, changing sponsors, because my first sponsor moved away after three and a half years, and being a super activist in the Pacific Group and practicing these principles outside of the meetings and none of my affairs. I totally self-will run right out of control outside of the meetings. And I, you know, I just, I, I, I 
gone, been in the Santa Monica Track Club, had lost my weight, went into basic combat training with the military and was, uh, was back from them. And so I, I'd been in a lot of good physical stuff, but the food came back on me yet again and again and again. And I started coming to OA, and, and, in, and like I said, I was like five years sober. And, um, you know, I was, uh, after three or four months, I lost like 45 pounds in like three and a half, four months. And I... It, People are always asking me to speak all over the place. So this is like, what, 37 years ago, roughly. And uh, and I was like this always superstar speaking all over, and I knew everything. And, uh, you know, and, and I remember this one guy who was sober and in OA told me, he said, you're getting real cocky. And I said, yeah, yeah, don't bother me. Because you know? I, you know, when you know all the answers, you know all the answers. And uh, and I knew my way right back out those doors. And, uh, and uh, you know, I met my late wife at that time, and... Uh, and uh, we hooked up, but and and uh, we started dating, and uh, you know after about three weeks we started going hot and heavy nonstop, seeing each other all the time. There was no nothing like you're calling me too much and you're stalking me. I mean, we didn't have any of that. We just couldn't get enough of each other, and we were with each other for like um, like two years before we got married. And but during that first year, we both because she had been in OA in New York and, and lost like 150 pounds, and she had been absent for like two years. And both of us just kind of, you know, walked away from OA. And uh, and and Don Bagley had been my OA sponsor. I'm breaking his name because he's died. He was about 44 years sober and about about 35 years absent, I think. And uh, and he uh, he he did a lot for me. But uh, you know, and I remember I was very active in AA and had many you know many good things happen to me. And and, and my life got good in many ways. But all the crap was always still there. And, and if I wanted to drink or use, when push came to shove, I could always eat, eat, eat. And I did. And I gained my weight and lost my weight. And gained it and lost it. And, uh, you know, my wife uh, passed away from cancer after a five-year battle and left me with four kids uh, about ten years ago. And um, I guess, you know, I started going back to the AAMN stag on Friday night. And a guy named Michael B., who I'd seen got... He went out, went out and, and drank and used again, and I saw him about 20 years ago come back, and I was with him a little bit during that time. And uh, you know, he was eating out for dinner, and and I said, "Gee," after a couple of weeks, I said, "Gee, Michael, you're really eating healthy, aren't you?" And he started talking to me about OA and everything else. And one of the reasons I didn't want to come back to OA, besides my eating and everything else, I didn't want to call on my food to anybody. I just didn't want to give you guys that power and control. You know, screw you. I'm not going to give you that power. Sorry about the. Uh, Slip there on the language, um, but I just was adamant about that. And and walking in that parking lot with Michael after the, after going out to dinner, I was willing to crawl through 50 yards of broken glass to call my food into him, you know, and to do whatever he said. And I start and I say, can I just start calling my food into you? And I start calling him every day. And after a week, I, I asked him, well, would you be my OA sponsor? And he said, I thought I already was. I said, no. I, I said no because my AA sponsor, when I came back from basic combat training and advanced training with the military. I, he suggests I get a new sponsor, and after three months of Don in sponsoring me, I thank him for the podium for being my sponsor. And after I got off the podium after a meeting, he said, "You know, you never asked me to be your sponsor." I said, "Don, would you be my sponsor?" And I remembered that to humble myself, and I did that with Michael because I knew I was going to have to give my all to this thing, no matter what. And Michael said, "Okay, well, you, you got to go to at least one OA meeting a week," because he knew I was an AA, and. Uh, and I said, fine, but I knew inside. And, and first, I hemmed and hawed for the first week. He said, I don't know how to tell you. It's gonna, how to, how to, I can only tell you what I did. I go to OA meetings. I go through the steps. I, and I, you know, if you want what we have, you got to do what we do. And I, and I started to do what he told me to do. And, uh, and I got 
going to two OA meetings. I go pretty much every Saturday morning and Monday evening. I've got commitments at those meetings because he told me I had to do the same thing in AA. I had to respect the OA program the same way I respect the um, AA program. And he taught me to do that. And, and uh, you, know, I, you know, I have more sobriety in him. And every once in a while I think I'm smarter and more knowledgeable in him. He reminds me that the units are not transferable. <laughs> and and i got to remember that um, because... Uh, I got a big fat ego, and it's real easy for me to think that I know the answers, and uh, and I can do it my way. And I got to remember, my way got me 90 pounds overweight. I don't know how overweight it was. It was, you know, when I came back to you guys, I was going up and down on my way back up. I guess I was like 223 or something. Uh, and when I came back for the umpteenth time to try to deal with my weight problem, I came back to OA finally. Um, but I'd been in the 243s, 240. I don't know how much, but a good 90 pounds overweight. And, you know, I'm, I'm on my last 10 pounds. It's been a slow uh, battle with that day by day. But, I, you know, I've got to do what he says. And it's a battle when I don't do what he says. But um, And I learned from him that, and from this program, at least the way that, that he and I work it, is that uh, my abstinence is not perfect. It's not all black or white, uh, perfect abstinence. And, and I think it's important for me to remember that because that all-or-nothing attitude is what kept me going back. It's so easy for me to say, well, the hell with it, and just binge out of my mind. And, uh, and and because I haven't had that all, or, I've tried to give up that all or nothing attitude, and I and I try to do that in at work too, because I've had a lot of problems on the job. But thank God they put up with my BS for a long, long time, and because uh, I do a decent job in some other areas, and I, I, I try to take this out there um, about. Before I got absent, but about four months before my wife died, the women from the temple and many of her friends were coming by and they'd rub her legs. And, you know, there's a saying that, that God will do for us what we kind of do for ourselves. And, and something melted that icy steel with women inside me. And, 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 and you know, I was like 30 years sober. It's not, you know, most people get past this a long time. But, you know, when you, for me, when I was eating in the program, there were many times when I needed to grow and I didn't have to grow because I could eat. And the last four years of my sobriety, and I'm 41 years sober now, the last four years of that has been a, a growth. I'm not Mr. Growth, but I'm saying, you know, I've made more progress because I've had to work through the stuff instead of eat through it. And, uh, you know, I, I, and my boss is female. We get along great, and she's a wonderful boss. i got a couple other female bosses. But the point is, is like this whole world opened up to me. Uh, with women that I'm able to listen to now. But, you know, I, there was a few that I would always listen to, some hardcore tough ones. And, and, and like Millie G, she's not hardcore but tough, but she's hardcore, honest, and loving. And so there's a few women I did listen to, but but many I, I shut my mind off. And, I, you know, just like with black people and everything else, and or if you weren't educated, uh, and all these little things, I, I used to have all these barriers. And, and little by little, these barriers have come down. And the more they come down, the more I can learn from you and maybe help someone who is sicker than me. And hopefully it's not because I'm thinking about what I'm going to get out of it. My uh, AA sponsor taught me something really important one time when I said, gee, I've got to get to a meeting because I'm really you know, feeling I've got to get there. He said, don't go to the meeting for what you can take. Go to, for what you can give. So you know, sometimes I think, well, this means a crappy meeting. And, and I had to learn, you know, go to the meeting. If I talk to someone new or sick, or whether it's an OA meeting or an AA meeting, you know, in Santa Clarita where I live, the OA meetings are small. But, um, you know, it's... There's a lot of recovery there in those meetings, and, and I learned from those people, and most of them are women too, and a lot of them are, are beautiful on the inside, and, and I had to, to learn uh, that that was a discovery I made, and, and they've helped me a lot, and uh, and the people and all these programs help me a lot. I often say I'm a sick bastard. I got to go to AA and OA and Al-Anon and all this other stuff, and you know I don't like to talk about that that much from the podium because it's confusing to the newcomer, and they start thinking, "Well, you got to go to these programs." For me, it was necessary to hear the message, and 
And I started going to Al-Anon to help uh, my middle daughter. She's not drinking or using, but I had some very serious problems with her. And uh, it's been helpful. So little by little, my life is getting better, and it's because of you people. And um, if you're new and you haven't heard anything I said, that's okay. Just keep coming back. Or better yet, don't go away. Thank you for my life. The question is, is the gentleman wanted me to describe what my daily spiritual practice is. And the first thing I'll say about spirituality is I learned, like, gratitude. Gratitude is an action. Spirituality is an action. Um, but I get out of bed on my knees as soon as possible. If I can make it before the bathroom, I do that. Um, and, to, and, and I thank uh, my higher power, God, as I understand him, for you know another day of sobriety, another day without a few other things, and another day uh, of abstinence. And... Um, and my abstinence is, you know, three meals a day, and, and I call some snacks in with that, and, you know, healthy stuff, you know, yogurt, fruit, whatever. But, uh, you know, I, I get out, get out of bed in the morning, and I, and I thank God for those things. I ask Him to manage my life and restore me to sanity, and I do my third step prayer a couple of ways. You know, uh, God, please help me accept the seemingly bad along the seemingly good is necessary for my growth. I learned that from a guy named Keith Carpenter, who was in AA sober uh, many years and uh, God please help me accept whatever comes my way is your will for me this day so and I try to do that third step prayer it's in the book I think it's page 63 and I try to read it um, because I'm so used to saying it rotely that I don't always uh, hear what I'm saying and I go on to do steps uh, 6 and 7 and and then uh, if I did my 10 step the night before which I usually try I don't always get it done it's the night before sometimes I do it in the morning like I did it with Michael today later today you know, I do the AEIOU format, and, and I'll, read, I'll call him seven days a week, and I call in the food, you know, my, I do the AEIOU thing with him in the morning, and we'll read, like, uh, Voices of Recovery and uh, the Courage to Change or some, some literature like that to read something to me. And then uh, when I'm done, you know, we, we do some prayers together usually in the morning, or if not, I do some additional prayers and try to do the 11th step, you know, and ask my higher God, please direct my thing in this day. May it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, or self-seeking motives. Please grant me an intuitive thought decision where I face an decision. And then it says, you know, the pause, you know, at that point there, you know, and it's, you know, after we meditate a little bit. And I, I try to do like 30 seconds or something, just closing my eyes. And uh, I'm not perfect at it or anything like that. And then, then I say, God, may I be shown all throughout this day what my next step is to be. May I be given whatever I need to take care of the problems that arise. And may I be free from self-will in all that I do. And, um, and I try to do the next part, you know, ask them, may I remember to pause and agitate or doubtful to ask you for the right thought or action and to constantly remind myself that I am no longer running the show humbly saying many times you stay thy will be done and then I get on the road and curse out people and go crazy at work and get all pissed off at the computer because I, I, you would never know I had any program at all because near the end of the day I'm so drained and burned out in front of that freaking computer because the thing goes so slow and I get so pissed off that they make us use the software in the meantime I, I got to be grateful to God on my knees I got a job so that just tells you I just need meetings 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 and um, so my spirituality is that you know I, I make outreach calls you know, I try to remember. I don't do one every day, but I try to try to make them and call my, whether it be my OA brothers or somebody else. And, uh, and a lot of these people that are in OA are in AA too, so it's kind of an extra good thing uh, for me. Um, and uh, you know, I make I make those calls and I receive the calls and. Uh, uh, if I give out my phone number to someone newer or sicker, you know, and. Uh, 
Because to me, that's all the spirituality putting together. You know, to me, when I'm sweeping up a floor at this podium, they're all spiritual things. You know, uh, last week they asked me for participate, or a week, almost two weeks ago, they asked me to participate in the convention. I got to do something there, and I can help out as a cashier and sat with this lady Julie that my OE sponsor used to sponsor. And, and you know, it's this spirituality was helping her. You know, with the uh, accepting people's money and taking care of that stuff because I was participating in an event and it made me feel good. So it's not just getting on my knees and, and talking to God because I recognize that there's a God, he's out there and, and the most more than you recognize that's not me. So I don't know if that answered your question, but hopefully it did. Mm-hmm.